This is a No Dogma podcast. I'm Brian Hogan, and this evening I'm joined by Luke Hoban, CTO of Palumi, and he's joining me from Seattle. Thank you very much for taking time out of your evening, Luke. Thank you. To start off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Yeah, certainly. Uh, so, yes, my name is Luke, uh, CTO at Palumi. I am um, uh, currently working on a modern infrastructure as code tool uh, at Palumi, so bringing uh, modern software engineering practices to the way that we work with the cloud, uh, work with Azure and AWS and Kubernetes and all the different technologies we're using in the cloud today. Um, and in, in my past lives, I uh, spent uh, many, many years at Microsoft uh, working on developer tools, uh, worked on C-sharp uh, compiler for, for many years, uh, started the TypeScript project, uh, worked on Visual Studio Code, uh, many of the different things that were done in, in sort of the developer tools group there over the years, um, all focused on kind of the application developer audiences. Uh, and then went and spent some time in AWS working on EC2 on sort of core, uh, you know, cloud infrastructure. Uh, and for me, kind of Palumi was this opportunity to bring those two worlds together, bring some of the things that sort of we've done as an industry to help application developers scale up the complexity of what they build and bring those into the cloud infrastructure space where we've got amazing building blocks that these cloud platforms are providing. Um, but the tools and practices to really take advantage of that are still relatively less mature than they are in the sort of application development side. And we saw an opportunity to bring some of that maturity and some of that tooling kind of into that world as well. And then as CTO, do you get involved in the coding? Because it sounds like, you're, like your background is very heavily technically focused. Yeah, I think it's you know it's been interesting. I uh, I joined uh, you know Joe Duffy and Eric Rudder uh, when we started the company uh, back three and a half years ago. And so when it was just the three of us, you know, it was definitely sitting there writing code, building up the original, um, you know, product that we have, the open source project that's the heart of, of, our, of our offering. Uh, these days, you know, a bit less, uh, you know, just writing code. Uh, now it's more building up the team, you know, uh, getting the getting the word out, uh, making sure the product strategy and things is, is what it needs to be. But um, but still, you know, still one of the things I love about, you know, throughout my career building building products for developers is that, you know, part of being, you know, building the product, part of understanding the, the customer experience is, writing code. And so, you know, just a natural part of, of kind of being product minded uh, in these sorts of things is to is to spend a lot of time using the product, actually building things um, and understanding how that feels. So uh, I, it's something I've always enjoyed about kind of working on developer tools. Before we get into the infrastructure as code and Pulumi in particular, let's talk a tiny bit about how infrastructure has traditionally been deployed. So how was it before Pulumi and other tools like this? Yeah, well, maybe even step back, you know, a little, one more step, because I think it's, it's, you know, one, there's one part about how is infrastructure deployed, but I think a lot of that was shaped by kind of what people were trying to deploy. Um, and, you know, when I think about that, you know, prior to the cloud, you know, you had uh, on-prem infrastructure, you potentially had some sort of, uh, you know, VMware-based virtualization solution or, or, or something like that. Uh, and you you had infrastructure, but the, the process was quite slow to kind of do provisioning and things. Uh, even when you did do, uh, even when we did have virtualizations, you did have sort of API-driven uh, management of that, you still didn't think about it as being very dynamic. You changed things once every few months. You had very, you know, you had a couple of servers. You had, you know, very fixed networking topology. Uh, you had most of this was managed by some separate kind of ops organization that, that took care of this and you sort of worked through tickets. And so I think, you know, what you were doing at that point in time, you, you treated it as a very sort of separate part of uh, every deployments. And I'd say that's changed in several waves over the last, you know, 10 years. First was sort of the shift towards the cloud, obviously, uh, you know, and, and people moving from on-premise into cloud uh, infrastructures where cloud is sort of defined more than anything by being, an API-driven uh, platform, and so something where you can go and you know uh, dynamically spin up, spin down, uh, provision whatever you want to. 
Um, but I think actually the even more interesting thing there has been the sort of shift into the modern cloud kind of technology. So as we've actually taken advantage of cloud native uh, capabilities, uh, things like containers and serverless capabilities and even, you know, like app service and things like that in, in Azure. Uh, these are things which are sort of really are unique to the cloud. Uh, and when we start using those, we often have to think about the infrastructure we're managing very differently. It's it's smaller, it's more granular, it's changing more quickly. I have more of these things. It's not just a few VMs. I have maybe dozens of app services that I'm, that I'm installing or hundreds of containers. I have much more complex ways of tying all these things together inside the cloud, all my networking and identity and all these different pieces. And so while the cloud has provided all these operational benefits for me where I get to hand that off to Microsoft or to AWS or wherever to, to kind of manage that, some of the remaining complexities actually moved into how do I how do I tie all these pieces together? How do I connect to the different pieces of infrastructure I'm trying to use? How do I connect my application workloads into that? And so I think that that aspect is really changing how people have to think about you know infrastructure being deployed. It's now much more dynamic. They have to have a process that's reliable, that's scalable, that can deal with the complexity, um, and that can move you know closer to the, the sort of development teams and not just be in a separate ops organization but actually be something that development teams can kind of own and drive forward on, on that cadence of, of delivery. The point about you make about the kind of the, the smaller granularity of things, a few years ago I worked for a company and I think the, the, the major website was run on some like 36 large servers. And if there was mm -hmm. a problem with one or two of them, it was a serious problem, you know, and we needed people to investigate it, look at it, try to repair them. And there wasn't a 37th and 38 waiting to replace them. Whereas now, if you have 100 containers and one of them is a, is, has a problem, you're not going to try to repair it. You'll tear it down and start it up. Yeah, no, and I think that's true. I mean, it's, it's very true. And I think it's, it's also interestingly true at a different layer, which is even the abstractions and sort of things that the cloud providers are offering to you when, when you use a managed service in, in Azure, uh, that service behind the scenes, it may have some VMs that it's using in its own implementation or, or some other services. They're all fault tolerant. If there is a machine failure behind the scenes, you're not even going to notice as a consumer of that managed service. And so these services that are being provided now do have this kind of rich reliability and sort of uh, you know, higher level concept to them. And we're starting to see that you know folks are taking advantage of those much more. You know, it's it's much more common now to use a managed database than to try and run your own database. Uh, you know, inside just a, a VM of your own. Um, you know, similarly, many of these newer services are actually only available as managed services inside the cloud. You know, they're not even available as software that you can go and run independently. Uh, and so I think that is leading to a very different way of thinking about how this infrastructure gets gets deployed and delivered and managed and operated. Uh, and so I think that that's a key thing that we sort of think about in, in the, how we think about building polygamy. Where would you say the move to infrastructure as code started or where and when? Yeah, so I think it's been, you know, the, the, the category or the title infrastructure as code, I think has been applied to, to a few different waves of, of technologies over the years. I think, you know, definitely, uh, you know, that, that term was used, you know, around things like, um, you know, Chef and Puppet and these sorts of tools. Uh, we were writing code to sort of manage the, uh, you know, provisioning all of the sort of pieces of infrastructure we wanted to run inside the VMs that we were deploying. Uh, and I think now it's that that term has also been brought into the sort of cloud native era of that, both with, you know, things like uh, Terraform, for example, um, is one, but but then also the, all of the uh, cloud specific options. So whether it's Azure Resource Manager and ARM templates or whether it's a cloud formation, uh, you know, every one of the cloud platforms has these sort of infrastructure as code tools, which let me write down 
uh, write down a description of the infrastructure I want, the desired state of my cloud infrastructure, uh, using uh, text uh, and using sort of, uh, I think, I often sort of joke that uh, we, we call it infrastructure as code, but in many of these things, it's really sort of infrastructure as text. You know, it's a, it's a YAML file or a JSON file or an HCL file. It's uh, the main benefit is that it's a text asset that I can check into version control. I can, you know, get diffs uh, and I can see those in pull requests, that sort of thing. I'd say when I think about code, I think about a lot more things. I think about sort of a lot of these software engineering capabilities, IDEs and testing and error checking and all these sorts of things. I'd say that hasn't necessarily been part of this world as much uh, over over the years as we've talked about infrastructure as code. I think that's where something like Pulumi was really trying to move that piece forward even further. Would you say there are two broad categories? I, I was in my prep for this. I came across configuration orchestration versus configuration management. Is that the are those the two categories, or would you say there's more? Yeah, I think those are those are two terms I think get used as, as broad categories here, and I think you know those are those are good ways to think about it. Um, you know, I often just talk about it kind of simply as uh, you know when I, when I want to be clear which which form I talk about cloud infrastructure codes so are really focused on on you know managing the cloud providers and managing the resources I have in sort of the cloud itself uh, versus sort of configuration management, which I think of as being that sort of in-guest provisioning and making sure the software I have running inside, a, inside an operating system or virtual machine is what I expect it to be. Um, but I do think that that you know the cloud-based piece is very different, and it does that orchestration component is very important to that. How do I how do I actually orchestrate the deployment of all the different pieces I need? How do I understand those dependencies? How do I make sure that I create and read and update and delete those individual pieces of infrastructure uh, to get from whatever state I'm in to whatever uh, new state uh, I have specified as part of my infrastructure uh, as code? Where do things like Chef, Puppet, Pulumi, Terraform fall in the configuration orchestration versus configuration management? Yes, I think broadly things like Chef and Puppet are really kind of in that configuration uh, management side of things. And uh, and then, you know, Terraform and Pulumi, I, I think of as being on that sort of cloud infrastructure as code side or that configuration orchestration side. All right. So let's, um, let's talk about Pulumi. What is it? Yeah, so you know, I think uh, I think of Pulumi really is a modern infrastructure as code platform. Uh, and so when I think about modern, there's sort of two aspects to that. Uh, one is sort of bringing a modern sort of software engineering approach uh, to infrastructure as code. And so uh, really bringing, you know, taking that notion of moving from infrastructure as text to infrastructure as code or infrastructure as software uh, and taking that seriously. And, and one of the key ways that we, we do that is by bringing the ability to use existing programming languages that the folks are familiar with in the industry. So uh, we support today, you know, TypeScript and JavaScript, we support Python, we support Go, we support uh, .NET and C Sharp. Uh, and so in each of these spaces, obviously, you know, lots of developers who have familiarity with these. Um, but even more so than that, each one of these language ecosystems offers a rich set of sort of software engineering capabilities that you can then bring to bear on your infrastructure as code. And so, you know, that means you can get your testing, you can get your IDE tooling, you can get your, you know, error checking as you type, all of these things that have helped you to kind of scale up that complexity of your application software. Can bring a lot of those same tools into the way you think about managing your cloud infrastructure. Um, but probably the, the single biggest thing there is actually, you know, the thing that programming languages are sort of best at is uh, is abstraction, right? They're really great at, you know, creating functions and classes and components and, and reuse, avoiding just copy pasting things all over the place. Almost the definition in my mind of kind of programming languages is 
that I don't copy paste things, right? I give a name to something, I, I call it a function, I call it a library, whatever, uh, and I and then I make that library available to people, right? And this is sort of you know the, the innovation of of C or something like that, you know, back in in the, in the 70s, um, and and I think we've uh, that's a thing that's really valuable, and yet in the infrastructure's code space, I'd say still. State of the art tends to often be just, hey, I'm going to copy paste this thousand lines of code from from over here to over here, uh, and maybe maybe tweak a little a couple things. And it's like this kind of these kind of practices, software engineering practices that would be kind of appalling to folks in their application software uh, are considered sort of acceptable still in in the infrastructure and, and the cloud side. And yet, as the complexity goes up. I think that's becoming less manageable. We, we can't get away with that anymore. Uh, we have to actually bring to bear some of the same practices and tools. Uh, and so, the, you know, these are why we kind of like that, like bringing that sort of modern software engineering approach. The other side of the modern coin is is really kind of that focus on modern cloud architectures. Um, so Pulumi does support the, the full breadth of kind of uh, everything that the cloud providers support, so all the networking, all the identity stuff, all the uh, managed data services, everything that you would want to use inside your cloud platform. But there's really a focus on the workflows around modern workloads. We see a lot of teams kind of moving into containers or serverless or Kubernetes uh, as they kind of uh, go deeper into their cloud journey. And so really trying to have a, a platform and libraries and things that make it super easy to take advantage of those technologies, to have the kind of uh, agility that those te te technologies require, and to kind of empower the new kinds of teams that are using these technologies where they're, they're less siloed dev and ops teams and more these sort of unified cloud engineering teams. Uh, and so I think those two aspects of what we think about as sort of modern infrastructure as code are kind of at the core of what we're doing with Pulumi. I know you ran through them, but can we maybe go a little slower through the languages that you support? Yeah, so um, we we actually started with uh, TypeScript and JavaScript in, in a past life. I, uh, I, I sort of started the, the TypeScript project at Microsoft, so I had a, a bit of a soft spot there, but also just it was a, a good fit in a sense for um, being, you know, JavaScript being a language that is is broadly kind of known and um, and where, you know, it has a very, the, the sort of fact that it's JSON effectively with a little bit of sugar over top of it kind of has a good fit for a lot of these cloud APIs, which, which are kind of just, um, you know, JSON configuration. And so, so we started with that, but we've added a number of languages. We now have Python, uh, which has you know as full support. A lot of users of Pulumi uh, with Python as well. Uh, and then just earlier this year, uh, launched our GAs of Go uh, and .NET support. Um, and so those are the, the current sort of four uh, language ecosystems that we support. Uh, we've seen great growth in sort of all of those areas in terms of uh, Pulumi. Um, but you know, one of the key things we're really moving towards is to have a kind of unified layer across all these so that folks can use whatever language they want and get access to all of the same sort of components and, and capabilities across all the different languages. Are there variations at the moment? So does TypeScript have something that C-sharp doesn't? Yeah, today, you know, today they all have the same raw capabilities. Um, we have, you know, the same, we have about 50 different cloud providers, you know, from AWS, Azure, GCP, and Kubernetes to a wide, you know, long tail of, of additional sort of managed service providers out there. Uh, and we have, you know, all of those are available in all of those language ecosystems. The one thing that's sort of different today is today when you build sort of those reusable components, if you build a reusable component in TypeScript, for example, it's only available to other folks using TypeScript. If you build one in .NET, it's only available to folks using .NET. And so the, the ecosystems are a bit fragmented still today. Um, and that's a key thing we're working on is sort of building that layer so that you can share across those ecosystems. So that if some, somebody in the organization or somebody is sort of in the open source community builds a .NET component, someone can go and kind of use that from uh, from TypeScript. And that's going to be enabled by kind of taking the Pulumi resource model for what a, what a cloud resource is 
and making that something that sort of uh, has a really unified approach across all the different languages. Let's uh, try and give a small example. Let's say I'm someone working on Azure or AWS. Um, and what I'm used to doing is going in with my mouse into the UI, um, adding an application load balancer, putting up, a, let's say, a cluster, adding a service, adding all those bits and pieces by hand. Why why would I use Pulumi and what would I effectively do to replace my click at my point and click work? Yeah, so I think it's a great question. I think, you know, it is true. You know, a lot of infrastructure today is still, you know, uh, deployed uh, via just pointing and clicking. And, and I think the key, there's a few key things. Um, one is, you know, and I, we, we hear this story all the time, you know, folks who, who did that uh, years ago or maybe somebody else in the organization did that years ago and then left. And somebody else comes along and they're trying to figure out well, what what even is here? You know, what what who how did that person create this? How did they configure it? What settings did they set? Uh, and and how do I go and know what I have and what I what I need to do to change that to be in the state I want it to be in? Uh, and so that that aspect of just kind of understanding what you have. Uh, uh, the other one is just being repeatability. So you know these days it's you know really important to have you know as well as my production environment, I want a staging environment. Potentially, I want the ability for every developer to be able to spin up their own isolated environment so they can make potential changes. If they're about to introduce a new data service into the infrastructure, they want to test that out, create it in their, in their development environment, uh, verify that that is going to work correctly before they actually merge it into a shared staging environment or certainly into their production environment. And so the ability to, to recreate your whole environment again, uh, you know, uh, in, a, in one of those other uh, forms. And then, you know, for, for some of the really advanced organizations that, that we work with, and, and I, I say really advanced, but I think this is going to become something that you know, effectively everyone has to do to really take advantage of the cloud is, you know, they want to be able to continuously be testing. So continuously be standing up new copies of their infrastructure, validating that they work and tearing it all down again. And so that, that ability to just, you know, have a, have a description of what my cloud infrastructure looks like that I can use to uh, stand up ephemeral environments or dev environments or staging environments is, is really important. And then the last piece is just the ability to robustly roll out changes to my infrastructure. Uh, if I'm only making changes once every few months to my infrastructure, it's sort of fine to have that be a very manual operator driven approach where I write a run book down and I tell someone to go into the console and click these four buttons. But if I'm changing this potentially multiple times a day, uh, then that's not really going to be a reliable process. I really need that to be something which is a software driven process. Um, and and that's why we want to go and write that down as a software artifact. We want to version control it. We want to be able to see diffs. We want to get, be able to get pull request reviews. We want to be able to have it integrated in CI CD so that when we do make a change, it kind of deploys out in an automated and robust way. All these things just to bring that kind of same software engineering rigor really that we think about for our services and applications and bring that kind of into our cloud infrastructure as well. If you were to, if I was to say to you, you know what, um, I'm doing a small thing by hand, let's say creating Elasticsearch. How much work is it to turn that into infrastructure as code with Pulumi? Yeah, so I think, well, there's two approaches. One is, uh, you know, one is you can just go and do it to begin with in Pulumi, and you can go and write down the code and, you know, your, your um, uh, Elasticsearch, you know, service. Uh, probably, you know, probably going to be 10 or 20 lines of code to kind of just provide all the configuration that you would have clicked on in the console, but instead you're going to write down in, in sort of a, um, as an API that's available to you in, in Pulumi. Uh, and so not too much to do it that way, but for a lot of folks, they will go and try things out in the console first. They'll kind of get it into the state they want. Now they'll want to go and sort of 
now move it into being managed by an infrastructure's code solution. And so for that, we have several tools uh, for you know two things. One for kind of taking in the, in the Azure console, for example, you can kind of export as an ARM template. Uh, and that's for, you know, that, that provides that ability to kind of take something you point and click and move it into uh, an Azure Resource Manager-based infrastructure's code solution. If you then want to bring that kind of all the way into Pulumi where you have more richness and more sort of uh, software engineering capabilities, we have tools to convert from ARM templates into Pulumi code. So those will actually give you back the C-sharp code or, or TypeScript code or whatever it is you need that matches what your ARM template said. And then we also have tools for importing. So saying I want to point at some existing resource in my cloud provider and I want to, you know, get a get a uh, program that specifies that same resource and that will now manage the desired state of that resource in the cloud. That particular one, not create a, a separate one. Exactly. Yeah. So take ownership of that existing resource and now manage its state instead of creating a new one. Uh, and that might be something I do for my production environment, but now I have a program that I can rerun and you know, in production, it'll manage that resource, but I can run it again and it'll stand up a staging instance of all my infrastructure. I've been playing with Pulumi a little bit and I've also found your documentation very helpful. You know, the samples are, are there and you can work your way through them. But one of the things, I'm, I'm doing it in C-sharp. Sure. I've been using Terraform for maybe year, year and a half, on and off. And it's difficult to get into, but once you, you're using it, it you know, it's, it's okay, it's fine. You get comfortable with it. But when I moved to Pulumi, I expected it to be very, very familiar. But then I found that parts of it felt very alien to me. And I'm thinking about the inputs and outputs. And also, I think uh, the Elasticsearch one was an example I worked on. I have a blog up on it. And the use, the generation of the JSON and the parameterization of what was going into it, I found very, very unfamiliar. Sure. How how has it ended up like that? Yeah, so I think you know uh, we we embed all these things into existing program languages, but I think there's sort of one key concept that is sort of unique to Pulumi, uh, Pulumi's API design in a sense in each of these languages, which is exactly the one you called out. So some notion of inputs and outputs, and and the reason for that is that you know what you're what what you're doing when you write a C sharp or a TypeScript program to uh, to define infrastructure's code is it's actually not the same as just using the Azure SDK. When you go and use the Azure SDK, you're just going and imperatively making some, some you know, uh, running some things against the, the Azure APIs. With Pulumi, you are describing a desired state. And so what that Pulumi program does when it executes is it actually builds up a graph, uh, effectively, of a set of resources that you've specified you want and the dependencies between those resources. Uh, and that notion of kind of inputs and outputs is sort of the core of that. How do we uh, you know, understand when an output of one resource flows into the input of another and understand that that's an edge in a graph. Um, and so there is this sort of one core concept that I think everyone coming into Pulumi is sort of the one key thing you kind of have to go in, uh, you know, kind of spend some time understanding is, is what are these inputs and outputs? How are these kind of uh, edges between resource dependencies managed? It does feel a little bit different uh, than, you know, your traditional just uh, Azure SDK for, for .NET would feel like. Um, but I think that one concept is really sort of the only thing. And then once you sort of uh, have that notion of how do these things flow and how do you transform values on those edges, uh, um, I think that's really the key thing that if you, if you kind of pick that piece up, then everything, all the rest of your .NET knowledge will sort of immediately come to bear. You can use all of your existing, you know, built-in standard library functions. You can use all your existing NuGet packages. Uh, you know, everything else is sort of the same, but there is definitely this one new concept because the nature of what we're doing isn't just a traditional imperative .NET program. It's actually this sort of combination of an imperative API, but the ability to sort of manage desired state configuration in the cloud. And to be fair, I 
did get to the architecture and concepts and programming model page, but I didn't read it. So, you know, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I completely accept that, you know, there are times you have to read the manual and this is one of those. And I don't want to be, I don't want to sound unfair to you. It is a different concept and I haven't read it. Therefore, I didn't get it. But one other thing that I have found quite challenging, and it's not only with Pulumi, but it's with other aspects where I'm using C Sharp in particular. Working with JSON within C Sharp is very difficult. And so much of AWS configuration policies and the like rely on it. And then you have to get parameters into it. Looking again at the Elasticsearch example, passing in escaped, sorry, escaping quotes, escaping brackets, and then putting in string.format or the equivalent of is right. challenging to do it and to do it well, because you might go to, you know, a, a working Elasticsearch online and take a copy of that policy. And now you have to escape the hell out of it. Is there anything on the Pulumi side that you can do to make that easier? Yeah, so one of the things we, we, we try in, in most places to not require you to just use JSON directly, and instead we make it part of our resource model. So it's a strongly typed, you know, API, you use it just like you would use kind of any normal uh, .NET API in a sense. And so for, for most things, uh, you know, you shouldn't have to work directly with low-level JSON. There are certainly some places, and I, I can think of a few examples in, in AWS, where um, the, the cloud provider model doesn't have a strongly typed uh, API. It just accepts some block of text uh, that it just thinks of as a string, but it happens to be interpreted by some backend system as as some other piece of structured data. And uh, in those cases, you know, you, you obviously do have to pass JSON. And it is something that obviously I think the .NET ecosystem, for whatever reason, just doesn't have uh, quite as simple of a story for JSON, which is still, I, I you know, I kind of had been away. I worked, I worked on .NET and on C Sharp uh, you know, 10 years ago, uh, kind of almost before Jason was a big thing, you know, <laughs> like, uh, uh, back when I was working on, on .NET, it was all XML and things. And, uh, and I was kind of shocked, you know, coming back to it, doing more, uh, more work with .NET as part of our, uh, APIs here. It was something that honestly shocked me as well, just that the, 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 both the built-in support and even the sort of third-party library ecosystem is, is surprisingly cumbersome around JSON, uh, and uh, and you know I, I, I I'm, I'm eager to see what the what the C Sharp and .NET teams kind of do uh, to to kind of keep improving that. But but it is something where you know we, we try to make it so that's not something you're going to have to be doing a lot in in uh, in Pulumi. We definitely want to make sure you're working with strongly typed APIs that we can project into and take advantage of all the features of the host programming language. Um, but unfortunately, some of these things are, are remain out of our control, and JSON is this interop format that we. We can't fully get away from that some of these APIs just expect. And so uh, it is something where, you know, I think um, we, should, we should look for more opportunities to kind of uh, leverage the best and brightest of, of what's in, in .NET today. But um, it is something I've, I've seen that myself in my experience that uh, there is just a little bit more heavyweight, uh, heavyweightness there, even even to things like uh, certainly to TypeScript where, you know, JSON is just it's just the language, right? It's not even a separate thing. But but even if you compare to, to you know the experience in Go and things, the, the serialization and deserialization of, of JSON structures in Go is is, is pretty simple, and so um, we haven't seen as much uh, as much problem there. Yeah, same with Node. I found very easy to do things again. Elasticsearch, create mappings. Um, yeah. Very tri trivial. Um, I've spoken to a couple of people at Microsoft about this, and their answer to me was, "Well, you know, 20 years ago when we were making the language, we didn't think strings were going to be that important." You know, we were moving <laughs> yeah. towards binary transmission of data. Yep. Um, but I, I think there is a case to make something in the in the likes of a JSON string. 
Uh, by the time our podcast comes out, I will have published a blog post where I think I've come up with a better way of handling JSON and parameterization. Um, I'll put a link to it in the notes for this blog post. Um, nice. Yeah, I, I, I look forward to reading it. Yeah, but <laughs> let's move on a tiny bit. Uh, the other hard thing I have found about working with any of the infrastructure as code tools, at, at some point, the, the tool disappears. So like Terraform, I get it, enough of it to do it. And when I once, when I, once I figure out this inputs and outputs, I'll get Pulumi. It becomes knowing what to do in the cloud. So like if you yeah. need to stand up something, you might need a gateway, you might need security groups, you might need target groups, you might need a firewall, you might need about seven things. But you don't know that you need them because, well, you're fumbling around in the dark. Does Pulumi yeah. offer something like templates to say, you know, I want a cluster uh, of containers with protection and security and firewalls and balancers. And here are the six things, or is it very much a la carte? I have to pick figure it out myself. Yes, I mean this is one of the one of the key reasons I think that we wanted to go into focusing on this sort of um, uh, kind of abstract, you know, the, the ability to build abstractions using software engineering things is because to to get to that world, and you know, really, if you look at what happens in sort of the uh, you know in the in the app, application development side of this, we go from these very low level operating system level APIs to higher level, you know, .NET framework, and then higher level special purpose libraries on top of that, that abstract things away to, to web frameworks and this sort of thing. Uh, and, and that kind of thing is critical for productivity. If we had to be, if you had to write every web server you want by writing the Win32 APIs, you'd be in a world of hurt, right? I mean, it would be just painful. You'd have to be figuring out all these different concepts, how to stitch them together, how to take care of very subtle things and how the networking stack works. Uh, you want to just be able to write a few lines of code and spin up an ASP.NET server, right? And so uh, I think the same thing we view is true in the, um, in the infrastructure side where these low-level building blocks are fantastic. We do want to provide that a la carte menu. We do want to provide access to all that stuff. But it's sort of, we think about all that, all the core Azure platform and the core AWS platform, that that's sort of that Win32 layer. And one of the things we want to offer more and more over time is those higher levels, both us providing it and providing the sort of tools for, for other folks to build these higher level libraries, which are a bit more batteries included, are a bit higher level and easier to use, you know, when you're first coming in. We don't have to learn every nitty gritty detail of the underlying kind of operating system in a sense. Um, you can kind of work at the level of abstraction that makes sense for your workload and, and your, uh, your job to be done. Uh, and so we have some of these libraries today. You know, we have this library called AWS X, which is some sort of higher level abstractions for the AWS platform. So, you know, one line of code to stand up a best practices VPC, which, you know, is, is 15 to 20 resources inside AWS that you would have to carefully configure by yourself. But you write one line of code and then you provide some high level configuration if you want to. But it has, you know, smart defaults, it's secure, it's, it's following best practices, all that sort of thing uh, out of the box. Uh, similarly, we have you know capabilities there for really easily standing up you know EKS clusters, so you can get Kubernetes up and running quickly. To um, standing up uh, uh, serverless applications where you can kind of hook together all of the different uh, functions and identity and all these different pieces. And so that's one example of that kind of library. We've done a lot of that work to kind of make the simple things simple in a sense, and then you can opt into the complexity when you want it. But but you can kind of do things with the platform quickly. Uh, that's something we're going to be doing a lot more of over time as we continue to expand out. We don't have one of those libraries for Azure today, but we have a lot of interesting ideas for, for kind of how to do that to, to simplify how you can use some of these technologies inside inside Azure as well. So that brings up an interesting one. 
How do you keep Pulumi up to date with all of the providers that are out there? Yeah, so it's, it's a really great question. Um, uh, so the, there's sort of two interesting answers to that. So one, um, traditionally, we actually, many of our providers uh, were actually bridges to the uh, Terraform resource providers. And so we use the same open source Terraform resource provider ecosystem that you know the, the major cloud vendors and the large open source ecosystem contribute to. But we made them so they could be used from kind of the Pulumi programming languages and the Pulumi uh, deployment orchestration model. And that meant folks had access to that, that sort of wide range of, of open source providers. Um, but we're actually increasingly moving towards offering um, offering our own providers uh, as well as those. We started off with a Kubernetes provider uh, that was you know, auto-generated off of the Kubernetes uh, API specifications. And so there's, you know, there's an API specification uh, that... Um, that is made available by the CNCF and that you know uh, has the exact you know details of their API and we auto generate a resource model off of that and so we can have a new one that's available within minutes of an upstream release. Uh, so there's really you know because there's very little manual work to doing that mapping, we can effectively have those uh, always available as soon as something's available in the Kubernetes platform. We also just uh, just a few weeks ago uh, launched a new uh, we're calling it a next gen Azure provider um, and that's actually built directly off of the uh, ARM uh, REST API specs that are maintained by all the service teams in, in Azure. And so that, again, is similar approach. You know, we just auto-generate that off of those REST API specs that those service teams publish, uh, the same ones they use to, to build the, you know, uh, the, the platform SDKs for Azure. Uh, but we use them to build a sort of infrastructure as code platform uh, here. And so directionally, I think we're going to be doing a lot more of that, building these tools to sort of take the, the core kind of schematization and, and specification of what the cloud provider's resource model is and project that into kind of the Plumi programming model uh, for users. How would you compare Pulumi to other infrastructure as code tools out there? Let's say Terraform being a popular one or any of the other popular ones. Yeah, so I think you know, Pulumi is obviously uh, similar to Terraform in, in the sense that it's a, uh, it's a non, it's a sort of a, a platform neutral uh, tool. It supports a lot of different cloud providers, uh, can work across different cloud providers. So you can work with both, uh, you know, both AWS and Azure, or more, more likely you can use, you know, both AWS and Kubernetes, for example, in the same workload. And um, that's something we see a lot of folks doing. Uh, and so the ability to work across, you have a single kind of pane of glass, a single programming model across your different cloud assets. Uh, something that's a, that's a characteristic of both Terraform uh, and Pulumi. I'd say, you know, the key difference there is obviously Pulumi does take this more kind of software engineering centric approach, uh, both by using existing and popular programming languages, but also by sort of leaning on more of these, uh, you know, software engineering capabilities that the IDE tooling, the testing, the error checking, the IntelliSense, the, the packaging and publishing and versioning, all these different pieces um, that are kind of done a bit more ad hoc in the Terraform world, but are sort of, we're, we're building on, standing on the shoulder of giants on those things with building on top of the, the .NET ecosystem or the, the JavaScript ecosystem. Um, the, the other place to compare is sort of to uh, the cloud vendor specific tools. So things like ARM templates or CloudFormation templates. Uh, and there, I think, um, you know, the key thing there is those tend to be even even more constrained kind of DSLs in a sense. Um, you know, they're, they're sort of JSON or YAML. Uh, they're not very expressive. They have some very kind of strange uh, little mini languages embedded inside strings. Uh, and so, you know, compared with those, uh, we, I'd say the big difference is just much, much more expressiveness uh, to what you can do. Um, and of course, the ability to work across the different cloud providers. Um, what do you see as a future for Pulumi? 
Yes, I mean, Bloomy's been growing uh, incredibly, uh, you know, quickly over the last few years, and we've kind of launched the core open source project uh, about two and a half years ago, and I've seen, you know, great uh, uptake of that, and so just exciting to kind of see uh, both the core uh, uh, grow and then also sort of the ecosystem on top of that. And so a lot of the work we're doing right now is to actually help sort of uh, build up that, that ecosystem and provide, you know, provide folks who want to build their own open source projects on top of Pulumi, the tools they need, um, you know, do that kind of thing. And so so a big, big piece of work around kind of growing that ecosystem and growing those sort of community on top of uh, Pulumi. But there's a few things that I think of as, as exciting kind of uh, efforts that we have underway uh, one is, as I mentioned, these sort of, uh, we think about it as next gen or native providers. And so really working even more closely with the cloud providers to provide amazing access to their platforms. This new Azure provider we, we just released recently has nearly double the amount of coverage of the Azure platform to what the, you know, existing Terraform provider, which is what we were also exposing through Pulumi provided. And so, you know, much better coverage of the platform, much more up to date, much, much fewer sort of bugs because there's not a layer trying to do this mapping between the two things. It's all just sort of auto generated. Uh, and so that, you know, we feel is, is a really important underpinning uh, that we're going to be working on uh, both for Azure, but also for some of the other cloud platforms. Another thing that we, we, we've just started to work on, and it's a bit bit earlier, but I think it's something that I'm kind of excited about. And we have this out in Alpha and we've got some, some folks in the community starting to, to use this, but you know, one of the things that's interesting as we think about kind of infrastructure as code and where that's going um, is even as we move into infrastructure as code, it's still a very human-driven process. You know, I still sit there on my command line and I run, you know, uh, Terraform apply or Pulumi up or whatever it is to kind of deploy manually where I, maybe I put this in CI/CD and write this sort of uh, these workflows that run in my CI/CD process. But what we see is that, you know, to really harness the, the power of the cloud, the complexity is going up so much here that we're going to have to we're gonna have to be able to do things that don't scale with humans. We're gonna to have to be able to sort of do software-driven uh, automation of infrastructure um, and really bring sort of the software mindset into how we manage this stuff. And so we recently uh, have been working on this thing we call an automation API, which is really the ability to embed Pulumi's core engine inside your own software projects. And so you don't have to go and use the Pulumi CLI as your interface to it. You can actually build your own .NET projects, which kind of embed the Pulumi orchestration engine inside and then use that to kind of do a uh, desired state configuration. And this, I think, is something that, you know, for a lot of uh, cloud infrastructure teams, as they're building more and more complex uh, kind of tooling and orchestration around how they manage their cloud infrastructure, this is something we see as sort of a, a key thing over the next several years um, that's going to uh, shape what we think of as what the future of infrastructure is going to look like. How would I get started if I've listened to this podcast? Yeah, so you can go to Pulumi.com. Uh, there's sort of an overview of, of Pulumi. Uh, there's a Get Started button there. Uh, it'll drop you into, you can pick a set of tutorials to go through for whatever your cloud platform or choice is, and then inside that tutorial, pick whatever language you want. And so those will guide you through kind of that getting started, just going from zero to kind of having being up and running uh, as quickly as possible. And then from there, you know, on, on github.com slash Pulumi slash examples, we have around 100 different examples of different patterns across different clouds and different languages. Uh, find something that kind of is close to what you are interested in working on, either some managed service you're trying to use or some particular technology. Um, you can probably find something that's pretty close. Take a look at how uh, that's being used and then kind of go from there to expand it into your own workload. Um, but generally, you go into Pulumi, you go to that getting started. Uh, within five minutes, you'll be up and running using Pulumi to manage your infrastructure. Is that free for um, individuals? 
Yeah, so Plumi is uh, it's open source uh, and and free to use. Uh, it's free in two different forms. Uh, it's free, you know, you can you can use it just by itself uh, and and kind of manage the state of the deployments yourself, either locally or kind of in your your sort of blob storage. Uh, and so it's fully open source and fully free to use. Uh, it does have a also a free tier for using the Pulumi service to, to manage that state, so you don't have to think about that. That's something that you know for folks who have used Terraform or something like that uh, can be a bit of a friction point and a pain point for for using those tools. Uh, with Pulumi, you don't have to even think about that stuff. By default, we'll just manage it in the service, and that's free for for individual users. Uh, and then there there that's where we have some paid offerings as well for, for kind of teams and larger enterprises, uh, ones that want to scale up and sort of manage and enforce consistency across things in the organization. And then do the cloud providers have free tiers for individuals who want to learn as well? Yeah, so most of the cloud providers do have some free tier uh, and lots of different programs for, you know, startups and that sort of thing. So uh, for no matter what situation, you can probably get access to, to some stuff for free. Obviously, you know, for AWS, Azure, and GCP, they have big programs, but also you can use Polymi with, you know, DigitalOcean or things like that where you can use it to spin up, you know, uh, you know DigitalOcean um, Kubernetes cluster, for example, that costs, you know, $5 a month or something like that. So there are very cheap ways to kind of go and get started with this, um, but there's also lots of free offerings inside the major clouds if that's what you're trying to sort of learn and get into with Pulumi. Any final notes before we wrap up for the evening, Luke? Uh, not much. Generally, you know, for folks, you know, we often uh, in, in situations like this talk to, you know, audiences where, you know, very familiar with the kind of application development and service development side of it and, and are spending time with the cloud, but, you know, not yet feeling like they have full control over kind of all the pieces, a lot of complexity there. And one of the things I'd say is that, you know, Pulumi is this tool that I think can really help to bridge that gap, can help to give kind of developers who uh, have a sort of uh, adjacent knowledge of the cloud, want to sort of take that step kind of into that world and take ownership of more of that. I think Plume is a great way to kind of take that step into the cloud from that kind of application development side. And so definitely encourage folks who are interested in that to, to check it out. And uh, you can uh, join also our Plume community Slack. There's a there's a Slack button up at the top of Plume.com. You can uh, click on to join that. Uh, lots of folks in there from from the Plumi team and from the community who will be happy to kind of answer questions and and talk you through kind of how to how to get started with Plumi and with the cloud providers that you're working with. Well, Luke Hoban, thank you very much for your time this evening. Likewise, great to be here. If you like this episode, you might also like episode seventy with Ben Day about DevOps in the Microsoft world, or episode forty-seven with Alec Lazarescu about introducing and expanding the use of DevOps in an organization.
The opening music was a return by Nisi23 from the album 11 and 12, and the closing music was The Block by Audio Binger from the album Quarantine Beats Volume 1. <laughs> 